Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Get your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 4. And as we're looking at our series today, we're talking about This Is Us, but in the context, I wanted to go back into a familiar text for many of us. It's going to be new for some of you because there are many of you, as you're journeying on your faith with Jesus, you're learning how to read into the Gospels. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. I'm going to read a text that you may not be quite as familiar with, but we want to learn something together today as we talk about a legacy of mission. John chapter 4, go down to verse 3, follow as I read today. So Jesus left Judea, now I'll give you a little bit of uh, context here, this is down around the region of Jerusalem, he's going to head north up to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus left Judea and he went back towards the Galilee and he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I I love this text. As familiar as it is to me from following Jesus for years and years and years, there's a a freshness, there's a reminder that comes out of it for us. And what, what I want to do today is I want to explore it from the sense of mission because of what Jesus is doing and what takes place here. And John records these words, and the way and the emphasis that come into the recording of those words bear a lot of significance to your life, to my life, as we talk about what does it mean to be on mission. Because when we talk about this as us, we're not simply looking back at 50 years of celebration. I'm looking with my eyes fixed on the future, and I'm going, God, there is a big city, there is a big region, there is a big world, a big country that we have to reach for Jesus, and I want to be on mission with you. And I know that you, too, want to be a part of that. So as we learn from Jesus today, take the thoughts, apply them to your life, because they do. They apply to all of us. So if you're going to take notes, get out the app, get your notes out. When you get into your growth groups, you can talk about this. So what, what do we learn about the mission of Jesus as he makes his journey into Samaria, number one, write this down. It's all about living purposefully. Living purposefully. He never wasted a moment. There was nothing about Jesus' life that was ever secondary, just casual, just a secondhand thought. There was always intentionality and purposefulness in everything that he did. John 4.4, 4, if you want to put that in the notes beside your thoughts, it should be in the printed notes for you. Here's what John said. Now he had to go through Samaria. Everybody read that? Here's your first question. Why? Because he didn't have to go through Samaria. See, we read that, and we go, well, that's what John said, so obviously he had to go through Samaria. In fact, the truth of the matter is, is there were other options. There were different routes that you could take. It's a little bit like going from here to Toronto. How many have taken the QEW? How many have taken the 401? How many just give up going? That's a better one. 
See, there's, there's many different ways to get down to Toronto. There's different routes. And the same thing with Jesus. We read the text in John chapter 4. It says he had to go through Samaria. We just go, oh, I guess he had to go through Samaria. Let me show you a map on the, up on the screens today real quickly. Here's a picture of, of Israel in the New Testament times. See down at the middle half towards the bottom. See where Jerusalem is, Judea. Then you go all the way up to the top, and you'll see Galilee and Decapolis way up at the top, Sea of Galilee. i got three lines on the map for you. The green line on the right-hand side, that takes you out into the Jordan Valley. That's the eastern border. That was a fairly traditional route that the Jews would take as they traveled from Galilee down to Jerusalem, back up to the Galilee. Because if you're a devout Jew, at least three times of the year, you're going to be going down for festivals at the temple, down for the celebrations. So that was a very common route. Then you go off to the left-hand side. You see the blue line? That's a, an alternate route. That would be for those who wanted to do a little bit of body surfing in the Mediterranean Sea. Because you go out by the sea, and you come across, and you'll see where Jaffa is, and that's over in the area of Tel Aviv today, modern-day Tel Aviv. And you can go up along the coastal route, and then you would carve across the top, go through the plains of Megiddo, and you'd make your way over to the Sea of Galilee. That was an alternate route. Then you see the red line. Where does that go? Right through Samaria. Which is the shortest? The red line. The red line is the shortest. Now John says in John chapter 4, he said, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. But if you've read the scriptures, and so for those of you that are new to the Bible, let me explain something. Devout Jews avoided Samaria at all costs. Because they didn't want to become impure by association with any of the Samaritans. And you go, well, what's going on there? Why would they feel that way? In particular, if that's the fastest route to the north and the south, why didn't you just cut through the country and call it a day's walk and you're down there and you're part of the celebration? Here's what took place. If you go back into history under the times of the kings and you remember the leadership in Israel and God had warned the people as he went through the era of the kings and they started, their hearts were being turned away from God and he would send his prophets and call the people back into repentance. And then they would repent and they'd fall away and they would repent and fall away. And, and after a while, God was getting a little bit of, just getting a little tired. Like a parent raising the kids, you get a little tired after a while. And the Lord said, if you don't turn your hearts towards me, then I'm going to allow the neighboring nations to come in and they're going to invade and you're going to go off into exile for a period of time and I'll bring you back. So because their hearts were hardened towards God, they were carried off into exile. So the northern kingdom went off into exile. Then the southern kingdom went off into exile. And when they went into exile, here was the practice of the conquering nations. Can I put the map up real quickly for a moment again, if you could help me with that? What would happen is the nations would come in and they would take all the people, the majority of the people, they'd take the majority of the people that could serve in their nations, so the skilled people, the trade people, the knowledgeable people, they'd take them out of the country and over. So if you're going up into Mesopotamia, Babylon, they would take them away. Then they would take people from other lands that they had conquered and resettle them in this land. You go, well, why would you do that? Well, when you displace people from their native homeland, there's less likelihood that there's going to be a revolt or an uprising because you're now in a new land. You're not familiar with any of the customs or the practices. You can't congregate together. You can't form a mass movement. So they resettled people into the region of Samaria and while they were living in Samaria, they recognized that God was still preve uh, prevalent in the land and lions and animals were attacking these people and they weren't familiar with the customs. So they took some of the Jews, brought them back into the land and settled them in amongst the people to teach them their ways and the people began to intermarry. So now what you have is you have what are called the Samaritans. 
people from foreign lands intermarried with Jewish people. And if you look at this, they become a mixed culture. So a true Jew did not accept Ancestry.com for a Samaritan. They go, I'm sorry, you're not one of us. And so because they did not want to be impure when they traveled from the north to the south down to the festivals, they would always, the primary route was the Jordan Valley, the Green Line. They would bypass Samaria and they would do everything they possibly could to not associate with the Samaritan. And that gives you a lot of background to why the story is so important in the context of what's taking place here. And I look at this and John says that Jesus had to go to Samaria. So in our notes or in your Bibles, you circle that, you begin to write something down about living purposefully. Jesus recognized there are times in your life where you intentionally move into areas that everybody else wants to avoid for the sake of helping people find their way back to God. You choose the route where the greatest need is, and it's often going to require the greatest cost, but it's going to produce the greatest results. And I see that with Jesus. And here the true disciples of Jesus, as we should be, they're going to choose to live purposefully, to choose to go where others will hesitate and even refuse to go. Now listen, followers of Jesus will often live for the moment. They'll follow Jesus when it's fashionable. As long as things are comfortable and the risks are minimal, then I'm in. I'm part of what Jesus wants me to do. But if there's commitment and purpose, I'm not sure I want to stay in the the journey. However, disciples of Jesus are resolved not because of the perks and the privileges, but because of the mission. They recognize that Samaria represents an opportunity to live purposefully, that there are people far from God waiting to hear his message of grace. And no matter what the sacrifice or the cost or the commitment, they're willing to step into that for the sake of reaching those that need to hear the message of God. And we all have a Samaria, don't we? Jesus had one that was right there in front of him, but we all have a Samaria. Some of you have family members. They're your Samaria, right? Some of you have, you're looking at me like, no, I don't. I don't have it. Okay, so let's do a real practical thing. When your phone rings and you see a person, how many of those messages go to voicemail? You go, I don't want to talk to that person right now. Or it comes up on home and you call her ID and you go, yeah, we'll take that call later. And some people, we go, I just, I hope I don't have to see them. I'm going to try to avoid them. So I'll come to the 1010 service. They'll go to the 1140 service. We would never do that here, right? No, no, you should overwhelm me right here. We would never do that here. No, we would never do that here. Okay, good. So we're back online again. Here's what I do want you to know. The mission of Jesus calls us into living purposefully, that we will go to whatever the Samaria is for the sake of helping people find their way back to God. You know what I love about our church? It's it's in our history, part of our DNA. In fact, from its founding years all the way up to today, it's always been about fulfilling the mission of Jesus to live purposefully. Even when it would be comfortable to stay where we are, the church continued to venture out. From building to building, school to school, they did whatever they needed to do to get to the place that they could reach more people for Jesus. And even when the building was built, so here, 1980, when this building was built at this property, the original building before we expanded it, when this building was built, they were about five years into the journey. So as a leader, their pastor was into the middle of budgets and finances, mortgage outreach programs, ministry programs, like they had everything going on. God was favoring the church, and they had a dream that it would be good to plant another church in the middle of all of this. 
And they started conversations about planting another church because they saw that the region was booming and there was always room for more people to find their way back to God. Now, that's not normal. Most people go, look, pay off the debt, settle everybody down, add another service. And they went, no, we feel like we need to do that. And when I was looking at the history, one of the couples that's a part of our church family, they actually chose, they recognized the cost. They chose to unseat their family from our church community, and they said, we're going to go over and start to help this church plant. We're, we're willing to go to a Samaria purposefully if it's going to get more people to understand who Jesus is and find the grace of God. Their names are Dave and Ruth Croft. I want you to hear their story. We interviewed them just this last week. Hi, Portico. Welcome to Dave and Ruth Croft's home. We're here together as the campus pastors to ask them a couple of questions as we're talking about our This Is Us, Portico's great celebration, our 50th anniversary, particularly our legacy of mission. Dave and Ruth represent some of the best of our church when it comes to people who are willing to sacrifice and give up to see the mission of Christ fulfilled. So we have a few questions we're going to ask them, and we invite you to join us as we listen in on part of our history. Dave and Ruth, thank you for taking a few minutes to talk to us this afternoon. Uh, when I was doing the research for our 50th anniversary, one of the things I came across back in MGT, when they built in 1980, as they were moving in through that era, there was a vision to participate in a church plant opportunity, and I believe it was called Central Pentecostal Church. And your names were some of the names that came up as a family that chose to get involved and participate. So that was a huge risk and commitment, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. So when that happened, what that was like, what your family was doing at the time. Okay, at that time we had been at uh, MGT since 1976, and um, when Pastor Fred felt we should perhaps start another church plant, Dave and I both felt that perhaps this is something that we should, we should get involved in. We had uh, four children, aging from about two till maybe 11 or 12, and um, we just decided that this is something we could do and we wanted to do, and we, we really weren't worried about what effect it would have on our children, but we moved over there and went from a large church, which was MDT, where everything was very um, programmed and lots to do and lots of involvement, to a little church where there was only one other family that went with us when we went. So how many would how many people total on the first Sunday or the first couple of Sundays when you guys got there? Well, there was there was more than four. Let's put it that way. But <laughs> but uh, after several weeks, it, it it came down to about twenty people. Okay. In uh, you know the first few weeks, there was a few extra people who came to see what it was all about, and some stayed, some didn't, and. Uh, but after about four or five weeks, it ended up to be about 20. So this is huge because the church... No, uh, it wasn't huge. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. But MGT was yeah. growing. I mean, the yes. numbers and everything. And so the emotional decision and the investment that you guys made along with the other people to go, and it wasn't, uh, you know, from my experience, it wouldn't be like I'm just going to shift and sit in the seat every Sunday. You were hands-on. Right. In fact, it, it reminded us to some degree of the early days that we had at MGT back in 1976 when the first white church, as it was known in those days, was being built, when everybody was involved. Yeah. 
And so in this particular situation, everybody was involved as well. You know, I ran the sound system. I I was tone deaf, but I ran the sound system. Uh, And, uh, you know, and did the ushering and and everything like that. And our kids got involved in different things, working with uh, the nursery or whatever. So... As soon as you said you ran the sound, I noticed Pastor Daniel just took your name down as a potential <laughs> ministry partner for the campus out here. In no, 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 no. <laughs> you, you noticed I said tone deaf. <laughs> so, during, uh, did you go out to uh, Central Pentecostal with the understanding that you were going to go just for a short period of time? Or what was the sense? What our, was the our, we, we made an initial commitment to go for two years. Okay. But we ended up staying for... Probably seven. Seven or eight years. So let's fast forward a couple of years, because you've uh, obviously been at Portico for a long time as it's gone through a number of shifts. And recently you moved to Milton. We did. And on your move to Milton, we have a campus that's out here. You do. So in some ways, you're now part of another church plant experience. Right. So talk to us about that. In fact, when when it was decided to start a, a campus in Milton, we made a commitment that we would come out maybe once a month, uh, or, or something in around that that uh, amount to help you know as a support uh, when when the church was meeting in the hotel yeah and we did that for the first couple of years and then uh, you know went back and, and stayed in uh, in the main campus until we moved to Milton okay. and then obviously made the commitment here uh, you know we can almost walk to church it's that close yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very, it's <laughs> as very compared close. to driving to home. Well, guys, thanks so much for sharing a little bit of your history and your story and encouraging the whole church as we're all on this together and figuring out what it looks like to live life on mission and on purpose and planting campuses. So why don't you all help me thank Dave and Ruth for sharing their story today and inviting some of us into their home. (laughs) We just, you know, we had a great afternoon with Dave and Ruth and I I love their story. They could have settled. They had young kids, and they said, no, we're going to do this. We're going to go for two. They stay for eight. And then when we start the Brampton campus, they go, we're in. That, that's just a reflection of Jesus saying, I'm going to live purposefully. We, we had to do this. And that was one thing that came off of that conversation is I knew I was going to talk about Jesus in this message here. But when we talked to Dave and Ruth, when they prayed about it, and the interesting part was even though it meant saying goodbye to a lot of their friends for much longer than they originally expected to do it, in their heart, they said, we have to do this. And as a result of that, and you know the story, what's unique about this? I, off camera, we talked a little bit more. That was called Central Pentecostal Church, that plant. Then it changed its name to Heartland, and it's now called Heartland the Church Connected. When we were in the middle of our construction renovation and we couldn't use our building, it was Heartland Church, which was central, that opened up their facilities for us to be able to have our regular meetings for staff meetings, uh, planning gatherings, and activities when we were displaced. It's interesting when you seed into something how God is faithful to bring back a harvest into your world. And so we're so grateful to the many people in our church community. But my challenge to you today and to me as well, live purposefully. Because we have some areas that are part of our lives. And they're waiting. They are waiting for somebody to step into that region to bring the message of hope. Number two, write this down. Not only living purposefully, but loving unconditionally. 
Loving unconditionally. You, you can like bulldoze your way into a region of people, but if you don't love unconditionally, it's just going to result in a whole bunch of carnage, confusion, hurt, misunderstanding. But I want you to see what takes place in John chapter 4. So in verse 9 we read, it says, The woman was surprised, this is when Jesus begins talking to her, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? So within social decorum, Jesus, why are you talking to a woman in the middle of the day? Because there was already a question about her own personal integrity and wholeness. And then why is a Jew and a Samaritan having a conversation? But Jesus transcends religious piety. He breaks past social decorum. He understands that heart to heart, people are looking for genuine expressions of love. And so often what happens, we hide behind our religion rather than seeing it's the relationship that people want to have with their Heavenly Father. And He steps into conversations. Even though it was an uncomfortable conversation with her, and she was struggling to understand it, Jesus refused to allow a sense of what is uncomfortable to define what was necessary. And we all have this privilege, don't we? We have the opportunity to step through the hurdles, the barriers, and the boundaries. Sometimes they're raised by social decorum. Sometimes they're cultural biases. Sometimes it's just religious piety. But we get to choose to live as Jesus did and say, I'm going to push through that, and I'm going to make a difference in someone else's life. Now, Many of you read the Life Journal with us, and you follow along in our weekly readings, so you'll know that we've been reading in Proverbs, and we've been in the book of Romans. And I was in my private devotions this week, and I came across Romans chapter 12, verse 9, and I read it, but it just sort of leapt off the page because I knew I'd be talking about this on Sunday. Here's what Romans 12, 9, it says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Now I'm going to stop for a moment. Because I read those words, and I went, hmm, how often have I pretended, and how often was I genuine? Anybody with me? All right, let's be risky. You ready for this? Would you be willing to raise your hand to say, there's been a few times that I maybe was pretending, and it wasn't genuine? Jesus is watching. Raise your hands. (laughs) Of course we do. We, we have mastered the art of pretense. That's to make something appear to be true when in fact it's really the opposite. Because there's times that we go through seasons of sorrow, but everybody around us is happy. So we, we don't want to bring the party down. So we project an image of joy, but inside, you know, the sorrow, right? So what do we do? A little bit of that pretense is we project the fact that we're, we're happy when in fact we're not. We go through that whether it's joy or anger, confusion, misunderstanding, and we do it with love. And there are times that we project a sense of love which isn't really pure and genuine. So if you're married and you're in the room or you're engaged, I'm going to give you, even online, I'm going to give you a real moment here. I want you to turn and look at your spouse right now, look deep into their eyes and say, I love you. Okay, this is good. This is fun. I love you, honey. Yeah, because what was going on in the room, it was like, oh, this is really awkward. We didn't come to church for this. And I got other people, they're already lost. They're like engaged, hugging, kissing. Stop it. We're in church. 
this whole thing of what Paul writes to the Roman believers, why did he write this to the Roman believers? Great context. Read your life journal. Great, great context. He goes, we get confused about whether it's the food or the drink or the social practice or the religious practice, and then we get embroiled in these deep conversations that create division and separation, and we don't love the way we're supposed to love. We don't love unconditionally. And Paul goes, who cares? If you're mature enough that you can have a meal that nobody else feels you should have, but you do it in private, he goes, good for you. But if it's offending somebody else, then be the bigger person and avoid it, right? So he talks about what genuine, pure love is, and Jesus brings us into play with the Samaritan woman. And why do I raise this? Can you imagine how his 12 disciples were reacting to the context of this? Just think about when they're leaving Jerusalem and the region, and Jesus goes, well, we've got to go back to Galilee. They go, we're good to go, we're good to go. And they go, let's go to the river, or let's go out to the sea. We can go surfboarding, we'll go fishing. Which way do you want to go? And Jesus goes, let's go through Samaria. And James and John goes, did he say Samaria? Yeah, he said Samaria. We don't go to Samaria. Mom and Dad never let us go to Samaria. And they would have struggled. They were raised as devout Jews. They were waiting for the Messiah, and Jesus goes, no, we're, we're going right through Samaria. And they recognized that everybody would be watching, and everybody would be observing, and Jesus was teaching people something. When you love unconditionally, you're not worried about popular opinion. You're worried about your father's opinion. And Jesus knew that he was about his father's business. And I love how we have this privilege of loving unconditionally. It's, it's really the essence of the church and everything that we're called to. Matthew chapter 5, 46, in your notes, the Bible says this, If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you're kind only to your friends, how are you any different from anyone else? Because even pagans do that. So the challenge to live on mission is that we would recognize the opportunity that we will love others unconditionally. And that's been the fabric. It's been part of the DNA of everything that we do in the church. And when you listen and you hear us talk about whether it's one hope, do you know why we're doing the 50th anniversary? Not just for a big party. I wanted to remind everybody we have 50 years of loving people unconditionally. So through everything that we try to do, we try to make sure that we're living out the mission of Jesus. And it's this call. So next weekend, we're going to have lots of people around. They're going to be coming in. They're going to be a part of it. And you're going to be the best lovers. That was another good moment for you. Yes. Best smiles. Best hospitality. Put the towel on your arm. Pick up the basin and go, welcome to Portico. Not a better church anywhere in the GTA. There you go. And we're going to host. And we're going to host. And we're not doing it for us. We're going to do it for Jesus. And so Jesus showed his disciples, here's what you do to love unconditionally. Let's make sure that we do it. In your notes, number three, let's talk about one other thing that comes out of this text. Not only does he talk about loving unconditionally, leading intentionally. Jesus took a conversation and he led the conversation. He did not get sidetracked. He did not allow social decorum, religious piety, or cultural biases to distract him. He led intentionally into a spiritual conversation, and he always did this. John chapter 4, verse 21, you see these words, Jesus said to her, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it's no longer going to matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Well, we 
know the very, the very one we worship. We know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and the truth, and the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now watch her statement. And the woman said to Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. That would have just shocked her. I am the Messiah. So he took their arguments of, do you worship in Jerusalem or do you worship in Mount Gerizim? He took the arguments out of the play. He goes, I recognize we don't always agree about these things. He said, here's what we can agree. There is a God who loves us unconditionally. And there is a God who has come to rescue us wholeheartedly. And we're going to worship him in spirit and truth. And all the other arguments and pretense is going to fall away. And you know what happens because of intentional conversations when you lead intentionally? What did this woman do? She races into town. She tells all of her friends about the one that she thinks is the Messiah. They come out. They begin to listen to Jesus. And Jesus begins to explain the wonder of the whole story. And here's a part of the story many of us read through too quickly. Jesus didn't simply go to Samaria. The Bible tells us he stayed for two days. Talk about an awkward scenario for the rest of his disciples. Like when he said you had to go through Samaria, it's like, oh, okay, we'll go. And he goes, now we're going to stay for two more days. And the beauty of the text takes us into this. The Bible says that many of those in the village believed in him as the Messiah. Friends, when we're on mission and we're living purposefully, we're loving unconditionally, and we're leading intentionally, God works incredible ways in our lives. But leading intentionally is about bringing people into spiritual conversations. And what better way to illustrate that than to do water baptism? Because we're going to celebrate stories of people who others had spiritual conversations with and led them intentionally to this moment. Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.